Well, it is good to be here once again this evening. I greet you in Christ's precious name. And indeed, I did have some of those thoughts about the Saturday evening service. But I, I repented of them, and if there was any repenting left to do, I did that quickly while Brother Larry was talking. It's good to be here. Tonight, my message is to young people especially, and I'm seeing some gray hairs this evening, but you can consider yourselves uh, part of the audience tonight. Where God has called me to serve currently, I am very, very fortunate. I'm blessed uh, in the congregation that we're called to serve uh, of about 120 people. About 35 of those people are single young people from the ages of uh, 15 and upwards and uh, some of the challenges that we face are where can where can our young people meet all in one place together and so we've tried to work out some things so that they can have fellowship and get to know each other uh, sometimes in smaller groups and sometimes in a large group and um, maybe I'm being a little selfish but from the time we've been there for the last three years we have been the youth leaders my wife and I and it's it's one of those responsibilities that I would maybe have a hard time giving up. I I, I really enjoy interacting with the young people. Um, Every now and then I do get out on the volleyball court and um, I like to sing with the choir whenever I can. They're having choir practice tomorrow evening and I'm I'm going to be missing that. Um, But I enjoy being with our young people and I I, uh, feel very blessed. we have a number of young people who are there for a short time, for two or three years, and then we have some who are um, uncertain of the longevity of their stay with us, and then others who are there with their families and who have made a longer commitment. Um, so it keeps life interesting and uh, helps to keep us young and sometimes makes us feel old. I've titled the message tonight, The Upward Pursuit. And I'd like to take you back to a little white dotty house in central Ohio and if you would enter that house you would open the door and the door would uh, be on the side porch of this house and you would enter and on the pale blue painted wall you would see a motto a motto that is so typical with a little sunset painted on it a little black chain around it hanging there on the wall with these words only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. When I was a little boy going to my grandparents' house, I would see that little motto. And it burned its way into my mind and into my heart. I saw it there for the years that I would go to visit my grandparents, who both have gone to be with the Lord And that motto, those words have influenced me for the last 40 plus years since I was able to read those words. It made me think, you know, I only have a short life. It's only one life that I have and it's, it's, well, it will soon be passed. So that that must mean that it's, it's, it's short. And how true that was. How true that statement was. And also, There are some valuable things that I can do with my life. I can do something valuable with my life. I learned from that little motto. 
but only what's done for Christ will last. And so that began my life on a journey. I thought about that motto many, many times. I made it the motto of my life. Later, I think maybe as a teenager, I was encouraged to have a life verse, and I would encourage you, especially as young people, that you find a verse that can be your go-to verse in the Bible, and that can be your life verse. And I have this verse. My uh, young friend from Ireland recently uh, burned this verse onto a plaque and gave it to me, and it's hanging in my office. And it's Philippians 3.14, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. It's my life verse. It's the verse that I go to. I think of when I need perspective, when I need to reevaluate where I'm going. Is this what I'm doing? Is this what I'm pursuing? It's helped me. And so, yes, I would encourage you, young people, to have a verse for your life. What's your go-to verse? So let's turn to Philippians 3 tonight. I'm going to read verses 12 to 17 and then verses 20 and 21. Not as though I had already attained, either were already perfect, but I follow after. I'm reading Philippians chapter 3, verse 12. But I follow after, if that I may apprehend that for which also I am apprehended of Christ Jesus. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended But this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Let us, therefore, as many as be perfect, be thus minded, and if in anything ye be otherwise minded, God shall reveal even this unto you. Nevertheless, whereto we have already attained, let us walk by the same rule. Let us mind the same thing. Brethren... Be followers together of me, and mark them which walk, so as ye have us for an example. And we'll go over the parenthesis there, and we'll go to verse 20. For our conversation is in heaven, from whence also we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall change our vile body, that it may be fashioned like unto his glorious body, according to the working whereby he is able even to subdue all things unto himself." As the Apostle Paul wrote the holy epistles that were inspired by the Spirit, he used descriptive words to uh, influence and to help his readers to see and to understand the point that he was making. And he often used examples that his readers were accustomed to Some of these epistles were written to Greek Gentile believers. And to help them understand, he sometimes compared things to things that were important in the Greek and Roman culture. And Paul himself is a Jew from Tarsus, which was a Greek city. And so he he spoke with authority. He knew what he was talking about. And it can be be interesting and sometimes uh, damaging to to use 
uh, examples of a certain culture when you're addressing another culture. And I find myself doing that sometimes in Ireland, and I get myself into trouble. Uh, I've learned that I cannot dismiss the uh, Sunday school classes for, for Sunday morning because that would be considered uh, firing them or telling them to, to leave. Uh, as in, in in a bad way, so I can't do that. We had a speaker there recently that talked about going to Lowe's to get some two by fours, and um, I'm maybe embellishing this a little bit um, from what he said. If I would say I drove my pickup truck to Lowe's to pick up some two by fours to build my garage, uh, that wouldn't really translate very well to the audience that uh, is listening to that. Uh, you understand what I'm saying, but they wouldn't. Uh, I would say something like this over there. I, I took my Jeep. I took me Jeep to the joinery to pick up, no, to collect, not pick up, to collect some 4 by 2s for me garage. And they'd understand what I'm saying. So Paul is the, is the master of metaphor. I think he does very well. Um, and... Some of the metaphors he uses, he is using to help them understand. It's not necessarily uh, the case that he is trying to, or that he is endorsing the metaphor that he's using as something that Christians should do. So he talks to Timothy about being a good soldier of Jesus Christ. He uses the soldier metaphor. To the Corinthians, he talks about running in a race and receiving a prize. And he also talks to them about not beating the air like a boxer does, but disciplining his body and bringing it under subjection. So Paul uses these, these examples, these, these different ways to help them understand. I think that's a good way for us as we uh, engage with people with the word of God. We try to, to make a, a comparison and give a lesson to help them understand. I enjoy that when people do that. I enjoyed this evening's devotional. So here's a spiritual example with an illustration that Christians at Philippi and we together can imagine and maybe even experience. It's the, it's the example of a competitive runner. This runner has spent years training for this event and his eyes are on the goal. He's focused. Nothing else matters. There's a race to be run, and Paul says, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. In this, portion, in this scripture, Paul is, is using himself as an example. He's talking about himself, but he's using himself as an example, as we will learn. There's a race to be run. If you are a Christian tonight, you have started running this race. How far along are you on your race? How well are you doing running the race? Now, some of us have just started this race. Some of us are on this, have been on this race for a while. Some of us are nearing the finish line. Some of us don't realize it, but we, the finish line may be much closer than we realize, than we know. Are we going to, going to be able to run a successful race and finish well? I'm just curious tonight, are any of you runners tonight? Anyone like to run? All right, good. Well, you're welcome to join us next Saturday, a week from today, 
we're having our third annual pumpkin run at Kamara Wilderness Camp. It's a 10K, and um, some of you have done much more than a 10K, but uh, you're welcome to join us. And the caveat for me was that uh, they also welcome walkers. If you can't run uh, that distance, you can come and you can walk and enjoy the day. So join us, please. We would like that. I'd like to talk tonight uh, through this scripture a little bit, thinking of three words, the price, the press, and the prize. The price, the press, and the prize. So I'd like to look at the word, the price, that first tonight. So there are many people who have this attitude, you know, as they look at a faithful Christian, I would want to, I would want to be like that person. I would want to be successful in my Christian journey. I admire that. I would want to have the ideals that those people have. We recently were uh, able to talk to some, some college students, and we, we, we came away from that discussion hearing them say that the lifestyle, the way that you all live is, is ideal, but it's not for the general public. And we, were, we needed to try to point them to Jesus Christ, who is the motivator for our lifestyle. But often we do that. We look at an ideal, but we say, oh, wow, that's, 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 really, that's going to be really costly. Or what is the cost? I have a friend who is a, a runner, and he gets up early in the morning, and he says sometimes as he's tying his, his shoes, he, he asks himself, why am I doing this? And he says then an hour later, he says, now I know why I'm doing this, because of the fulfillment of running. He enjoys that. Well, one thing that is included in the price tag is, at least for Paul, and I believe for us too, it's leaving behind and forgetting those things which are in the past, which are behind us. And Paul here is not talking about bad things. He's talking about forgetting good things. And just let your eyes scan over verses 3 through 11, the list that Paul has. It's quite a list. Uh, he says he was circumcised the eighth day. He was of pure blood the, from the, of the stock of Israel. Um, he was of the tribe of Benjamin, the kingly tribe. He was a genuine Hebrew. He was not a convert to the, to the Hebrew uh, tradition. He was a, a genuine Hebrew. He was a Pharisee, which there were none who were closer to the law. He, he had zeal for the religion. He had zeal for their beliefs, and that, that was impeccable. And he proved that by persecuting those who were outside, who had a different viewpoint. And he even says that he was blameless in his observation of the law. That's quite a list. And even though that list is not that impressive to non-Hebrews, and it might not be that impressive to us, um, for someone who was a Jew, that would be quite a list. That would be an impressive list. Uh, Paul didn't say, let's forget those things which are behind us. Let's forget that I was a liar, that I was a lazy person. Paul when he was talking about forgetting the things that were behind, he's talking about things that are, that are good, that are kind of good. I said that 
the things that are in the background of uh, someone like Paul don't really speak to us too much tonight. But there are some things that do speak to us. How about our reputation? Is that, is that important to you? See, the, the things that Paul was talking about, the things that Paul was referring to, were very, very important to him at one time. This was his list. So what's, what's, what would your list look like? What's, what would be important to you? What about hobbies? What about friends? Relationships? How about food? Yeah, you knew this one was coming. Uh, what about social media? Uh, you know, it's amazing that we can be pretty possessive of the privilege of of having a connection with anyone and everyone all the time, whether we're in the boardroom or whether we're in the bathroom or whether we're in our bedroom. Uh, to have that connection, it's to some people, is just quite important. Your list might be different than mine, but I, I would have a list too. I, I think of some things, and I mentioned reputation. There, there was a time when the reputation for Anthony Miller was, 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 was fairly high on that list. Uh, I wanted to, in, my, in business and in ministry and in family life, those were three things that were important that I would have a good reputation in. And I, I, I tried to arrange things, and I, I, I tried to work through uh, when I came to situations to make sure that I would come out of, on the other side of that particular situation, whether it was in business or in ministry or in family life, with my reputation untainted. That was something that was very important to me. And then in the last, within the last 10 years, in all three of those areas, um, I have gone through some things that God need, uh, showed me that there was a lot of pride there. And um, he kind of crushed my reputation in those things. And I didn't really like it. <laughs> but I realized how, how, val how important that thing was to me. It's not quite as important to me anymore, although I still struggle with it. What's important to you? What, what good thing is just quite high on your list of priorities? that you might not really want to do without. And we know that Jesus asks us to give up all to follow him. And there are things that we would just kind of have a hard time doing, giving up. It's interesting to me that when Paul says forgetting those things which are behind, that doesn't mean like taking them out of my memory, that I don't ever think about them again. Just like, you know, I want to forget that. There, there are some things in my past, some bad things that I, I really would like to forget. But Paul is not saying that just take them out of your memory. It's a little bit more like, instead of having to do with our memory, it's a little bit more uh, having to do with our priority. It's not so much taking something out of my mind as it's, it's putting something else into my heart. And so... 
Paul is teaching us that when we are pursuing Christ and his will, then we're going to have a priority for food and for hobbies and for smartphones and for reputations and friends. But those priorities will be much, much, will look much different than they did before. Because they're still good things. They can be used for good things. But Paul goes beyond just saying, arrange your priorities in, in place. Uh, he, he makes a pretty emphatic statement. And he says that, well, let's see here. In verses 7 and 8, he counts them loss for the sake of Christ. And then he goes on to say that he counts them loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ. And then he reminds us that he suffered the loss of all things. And then finally he says, with the, the greatest emphasis, that he counts them but dung that he might win Christ. When called upon to prioritize his winning or gaining of Christ, this is what Paul is going to do. It's going to count them but dung. Now, uh, the word term dung can mean a lot of things. It, I understand it can mean the, what you would throw out in, the, in your rubbish or your garbage if you're, if you're living in, in, uh, in Lancaster County. Uh, what you throw out for the dogs or what you put on your compost pile. Now, I suppose you all have what we have. We have a, we have a slop bucket, too, and our slop bucket is uh, under the kitchen sink. And in go the potato peelings and the, and the uh, stale bread and the apple cores. It goes in there. That's, that's where it is, and that's where we have it. And we, 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 we kind of have the, uh, the idea that we can help the, we can help the soil by um, composting some of those things. And so we, we like to do those those things from time to time, but we have that slot bucket. There it is. It's under our kitchen sink. And when we have guests coming to our house, uh, we don't say, come on, come on. Let me show you my slot bucket. Do you want to see our slot bucket? It's the coolest thing. And we open up that little cabinet door and we open up our slot bucket and say, wow, aren't those amazing eggshells in there? Uh, we wouldn't do that. We don't take the slot bucket and put it on our dining room table as a centerpiece. It's there. It's useful. It's needful. We like it. But it's in its, it's in its proper place. And, and Paul is saying, the things that would hinder me from pursuing Christ, I'm going to, if need be, I will count those things, but dung, but refuse, but rubbish, but slop. And they'll be in their rightful place. I was recently listening to a speaker that gave a, a talk at our church, and he talked about the four soils, the parable that Jesus gave of the four soils. And he made this comment when he talked about the, the, the soil that the seed was planted where thorns grew up in that soil and choked out the word. And he said this, something like this. He said, a weed is a flower in the wrong place. It's not necessary. It's not always that those thorns are bad things. It's just that they've crowded up and they've choked out the good seed in their rightful place. There perhaps would be a, a legitimate use for those things. But let's not ever let those things crowd out 
the word of God and keep us from pursuing Christ. And how can we do that? Well, we need a lot of help in doing that um, because the devil would want us to begin pursuing the slop, to to begin pursuing the thorns instead of pursuing Christ and his word. And so we need a lot of help in that. And one benefit I have, I think you you also have this here, is um, we have... We're quite intentional about accountability groups at our church uh, for the men. For the ladies, we have accountability groups, and we also have mentoring uh, for the older ladies and the younger ladies uh, one-to-one. But in our accountability groups, we uh, try to keep a wide range or a range of ages, so we have single men and married men, older men and younger men together. And in my group now, there's four of us. We have a, a, a single man a newly married man, um, a little bit older married man, and, and me as, I guess, the senior member of the group. Uh, I've, I value that. I treasure that. We meet once a month, and in between, we text and keep each other accountable and try to help keep each, each other on the path without the distractions. Keep the distractions away, and we, we ask each other questions, and we pray for each other. So I know my brothers are praying for me right now. So the price is high, but the price is worth it. It was worth it for Paul, and it will be for you too. And I'm just encouraging you, if you're a young man or a young lady, that you need to find someone to uh, walk alongside you and to be accountable to and it's your parents that's great that's wonderful Um, but have people speak into your life your pastors your pastor's wives and other people I like to talk about the press and that comes from verse 14 Paul didn't say I'm yeah I'm on my way to the mark Um, I'm kind of strolling along Um, we'll get there one day No, he says, I press toward the mark. This word press comes from a word that can be translated pursue. And it's it's the same word that sometimes is translated in the Bible as persecuted or persecuted. But it is also uh, in other translations, the word instead of press, uh, the word pursue is used in its place. I pursue toward the mark. And an example of this would be in Ireland, it's kind of taken for granted. It's, it's not really legal, but it's, it's mostly acceptable um, that you can walk on a farmer's property if you want to go out and see a castle in the middle of a field or, or you want, want to uh, go to the ocean and, uh, and the road is here, the ocean is here, and there's a, a field of cows between you and it. Um, you can just traverse over that, that pasture as long as you are uh, mindful of the owner and his uh, property, and you're careful with it. It's acceptable to do that. So, if I'm on a stroll with my wife through our neighbor's pasture, and we're on our way to the cliff walk, and um, we're just having a nice time, enjoying each other's company, which I hope to do in the, within a, a very short time again, uh, that would be one thing. But my neighbor has a big bull in his pasture as well. And um, it's a huge bull. So if I'd be strolling through his pasture, 
for whatever reason. And, that, and I, would, I would hear that bull behind me. Um, there would be a different way that I would, I would be moving through that pasture. Um, because I'm being pursued. And I know that this press that I'm talking about is not something that we're doing out of fear or that we're being chased or forced into this. But it's the same idea, though, that there is a diligence. There is a, there is a reason for the way we do what we do and how we move I press. I am intentional every day about how I live my life because I am moving towards a goal. I press. Toward the mark is kind of a, is not a real easy, uh, there's not a real easy way to understand this, but I'll try to explain it. I press toward the mark. Remember again that Paul is using an illustration of a runner. And if you could picture with me an Olympic track, and on this track, there are, are lanes that are marked out, and I believe they're about four feet wide, with white lines defining each lane. The runner must stay in the li- uh, between the lines and in his lane, or he will be disqualified. Like Paul says elsewhere in Philippians lest I have run in vain. That would be a tragedy if someone would run, but they would run in vain. So the runner is running in his lane, but there are white lines to guide him. Toward the mark means running alongside a line that leads to a goal. The best way that I can define it. Now, the white line and the white lines are not the goal. And sometimes, sad to say, for believers, that white line does become our main focus. We can become legalistic, and it's progressive and conservative people that can be, progressive and conservative-minded people that can be legalistic, by the way. But they begin to focus on the line, wondering, how close can I get to it? Or how far must I stay away from it? How wide can we make it? Or how narrow can we make it? Or we, we start looking at the lane across the line from us, and we say, yeah, maybe that would be a better lane to be in. And we start wondering how it would be to be in that lane or we might even wonder, what's the purpose of lines anyway? You know, they're just hindering us. Lines are necessary, but lines are not the goal. Lines are necessary because they serve to help us reach the goal. And For you as young men and ladies, be thankful for the lines that have already been painted. And it's not like we we need to always invent, uh, well, let me say it this way. It's not like we always have to bring our white paint and our paintbrushes out and start marking lines. It's a blessing for us that we have 
there has already been established some things for us that are God's will. And we can read the Word of God. And within the Word of God, we see His will. There are some things that are spelled out very clearly for us. Um, one is, in everything give thanks, for this is the will of God. So you can, you can always know that it's God's will for you to be thankful. The other one is um, abstain from fornication, for this is God's will. So anything that leads towards anything like that, you know it's God's will that you stay away from that. Those are the two specific things in the Bible, in the New Testament, that it's very clear that this is God's will. But there are many, many other places where we know by reading that this is what God wants me to do. And so do it. You, you are blessed with parents who, though they are not perfect, I believe have your best interests in mind, and they love you. Maybe they don't always express that love in the way they should, and we as parents need to work on that. But they have a goal in mind for you too. Be thankful for that. Don't chafe at it, even when it doesn't make sense. And I struggled for for the, some of the years that I was living at home because it was... It was my dad's request that when we sat down at the table to eat a meal that we'd all talk Dutch to each other. Uh, he, he was very emphatic about that. And we, when, if we would start visiting among uh, us as siblings and we'd start using English words and he'd say no and he'd say it in Dutch, we need to talk Dutch. And we didn't like that. He chafed at that. And maybe that was a little unreasonable. I don't know that he was so strict in that area. And there were some other areas that my dad was very strict in as well, more uh, stricter than um, some of the other dads of young people that were in my youth group. And I chafed at some of those rules too. But none of those things hurt me, even though they may have been a little bit unreasonable or a little different. They didn't hinder me. They didn't scar me. They didn't ruin me. In fact, I can appreciate some of those things today. So think of that, young people. It's not going to hurt you. In fact, it will actually bless you if you say, look, I, I'll do what you say. I'll do what you ask me. Paul, Paul went on to say, and we, I read some of those verses where he talked about being thus-minded, talked about walking by the same rule. He talked about minding the same thing. And then he even went on to say, be followers of me and also look around at people who are following me and, and follow me in that way. And he said, uh, so as you have us for an ensample. That word ensample is, is the word uh, die or pattern. So Paul had the audacity to say that. You follow me. This is the, this is the, this is the pattern. This is the way that you should walk. And um, I think that's great when we have men and women who have been faithfully serving the Lord. They've been serious about their walk with the Lord. And um, you know, they're not perfect. Of course not. But we can say, in that same way, I'm going to pursue God. I'm going to pursue the goal that God has for me. No, the lines are not the goal. 
But in 2009, I believe it was, Usain Bolt, still 13 years later, a world record, 100 meters in, what was it, 9.58 seconds, the world's fastest man. And he ran as a man who was always aware of where the white lines were, but his focus was not on those white lines. But he was thankful for them. I'd like to talk about the prize. Athletes run and play for a medal, something that is tangible, something that is tangible, but it's very temporal. I was uh, on my flight from Chicago to Pittsburgh last week. I sat beside the parents of a former defensive end of the Pittsburgh Steelers, and I'm not sure if the Steelers are that popular in this area. Um, but they, they told me that he has two, or was it three, Super Bowl rings, and they said, they're big. Well, yes, I imagine they are. You know, a Super Bowl ring wouldn't, wouldn't be like a regular ring, would it? It, it would need to be big, to, to, uh, as big as the, as the win itself, I suppose, to define what, what took, had taken place in that win. But Paul calls the prize, what does he say? The prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Well, that, that sounds really nice, doesn't it? It sounds, uh, it sounds like the Bible should read, and that sounds really good. But it's hard for us to really grasp that. What does that mean? It sounds nice, but it doesn't really sound, tan- it doesn't feel tangible. What is it? Could he not at least have said, I press toward salvation? Or, like we'd all want to say, I press toward the prize of heaven. Oh, we all want to go to heaven, don't we? We're glad that we can pursue salvation. And that would at least be a little more of a concrete answer, concrete terms that we could understand. And those things are promises that we do have. But I don't believe that was the prize that Paul was talking about, at least not in in its completion. If I dare say, I think Paul was referring to something that's even greater, something that we we can latch onto and lean into right now, today. And he calls it the high calling, the upward invitation, I say. This is a summons from God himself. Come towards me. Come. And do we know, do we understand how wonderful that invitation is that God, holy God, would invite you to pursue him, to come to him? And he does that through Jesus Christ, who in him we can be fully restored to God. So, some things that Paul talks about that are included in this prize is in verse 9, God wants us to be able to exchange our filthiness for his righteousness. God wants us, in verse 10, to know him. He wants to have a relationship with us. 
He wants to, us to experience the power of his resurrection and, yes, the fellowship of his sufferings, too. Verse 12, he wants us to apprehend or to seize, like a, a robber would his prize, to seize that for which Christ Jesus has seized me for. And that's quite a picture, isn't it? Because that says that I have not just been, not only been saved from something, and I have been saved. I was just marveling with Roman this, this afternoon, thinking about my background, my life, and some of the things that I, was, I, I did, I'm ashamed of, I was, but I'm saved from that. I'm free from that. And I praise God for that. I'm not bound by those things anymore. I've been saved from but I, I'm also, according to verse 12, since Christ Jesus has, has seized me, he has saved me for something. And you've been saved for something. And it should be our goal to pursue that thing for which Christ Jesus has saved us. God has a purpose for your life, young man and young lady. And he needs you. He needs you to be faithful. He needs you to serve him. He needs you to be faithful right now in the day in which you're living, right now. Not in some future time where you begin that, but you begin that right now. We're not saved merely to loiter around waiting for heaven, waiting for the end of our life to come. We're saved for a purpose. And I believe our life's energy must seize that purpose for which we have been saved. And God will help us to discover that purpose. I I just marvel at the grace of God in my life. I I certainly like Paul have nothing to boast about. I could not have imagined when I was a teenager the adventure that God would lead me on in my lifetime. And um, even the calling that he has on my life right now and the place that he has me serving, it's tremendously fulfilling. It's a, it's a reason to get up in the morning, and it's a reason to go to bed at night uh, with excitement about the next day. It's a joy to serve the Lord. It's a joy to see God at work in the lives of people. And it is a joy to see Jesus on the faces of, of people that I am working with. So, only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. When I got older, I learned that that little saying was part of a greater story. It was a story of a man by the name of C.T. Studd, whose story has impressed me so much that he's one of my heroes. Uh, a man who, as a young man, had been a promising sports star in England. But he gave up that lifestyle and all that went with it. And he was a missionary in, in Africa and India and China. He dedicated his life to serving the Lord. And he wrote a poem, Only One Life Will Soon Be Passed, Only What's Done for Christ Will Last. It has eight verses, and I, uh, I'm not going to read the whole poem. 
but I'll read the first verse and the last verse. Two little lines I heard one day, traveling along life's busy way, bringing conviction to my heart, and from my mind would not depart. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. And the last verse. Only one life? Yes, only one. Now, let me say thy will be done. And when at last I'll hear the call, I know I'll say, "Twas worth it all. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Young man and young lady, tonight, what would you pursue with your life if you knew that all the resources of heaven were there to help you achieve your goal? And what does God want you to do right now to get started towards that goal? God bless you. I'm going to turn the time back to Larry.